you know, for a number of weeks now, we've been doing an in-depth study of the Lord's Prayer, or maybe better said this way, the Lord's Pattern for Prayer. And uh, we've studied, as we studied through this, we see a number of unique and challenging things from hallowed be thy name, you know, highlighting the sovereignty and the power and the holiness um, radiating from the name of God to our Father, which calls forth the intimacy in our relationship with him, which permits us to call him Abba, which means daddy, you know, and even in your kingdom come, your will be done, confessing to God, uh, you know, our submission to his title as king and his good and perfect will, but immediately followed up with give us this day, you know, our daily bread in which Jesus invites us to acknowledge our, our needs before God. And we can approach the king of kings and even ask things of him freely. You know, it's pretty neat, this, the, 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 um, the Lord's Prayer here, this model prayer. So as we continue this study through the Lord's Prayer, we find ourselves at the very first part of verse 13. And I printed that for you in your outline. Lead us not into temptation. Now, I think it would do all of us well to consider and to confront our temptations, you know, that bend us towards sin. It's something that we really need to do on a daily basis, you know. So let me ask all of us to humble ourselves and, you know, as we break down and consider this part of the Lord's Prayer here. Now, to me, this has always been, you know, a simple part of the prayer. You know, those of us committed to God here, you know, certainly we need his help. We need his direction in our lives to keep us from the dangerous things that pulls us towards evil. Every one of us needs this on, on a daily basis, every day, every hour of the day. And while meditating on this passage, you know, something kind of struck me here. So what I want you to do is underline that word lead in your outline. You know, just underline it because we're going to talk about that just for a minute. Now, that word lead used here is the Greek word um, ice uh, furrow, and it basically means to bring into or to lead into something. It kind of, it brings um, to mind someone guiding an animal or holding someone's hand to direct their steps, you know, and then this leaves us with a challenging question that we must address, and that question is this, does God tempt us you know, if we're, you know, if we're asking him not to lead us into temptation, then we have to ask the question, does God tempt us? So the question still remains, can our holy, powerful, sovereign, undefiled, blameless daddy possibly lead anybody into temptation? Well, um, isn't this idea in direct conflict with verses like James, the first chapter in verse 13, which says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Folks, I think that's pretty plain right there. That don't need a whole lot of explanation. Now, would you circle that word temptation, you know, in your outline? Now, the word we translate temptation is the Greek word pyrasmos, 
you know, and it's used over and over and again in the scripture. This is not a new word in the scripture there. You know, a lot of confusion that comes from this part of the prayer can basically, I think, be cleared up with the proper understanding of this Greek word. Now, first of all, this word is a neutral word in the Greek. It's neutral. You know, it's neither positive nor negative. Um, it's not good or bad. You know, the word pyresmos is completely neutral, and its translation, it depends completely on the context or the circumstance in which it's being used, as opposed to the English word temptation, which always has a negative um, connotation. You know, the English word means seduction to evil. That's what that means. When the Bible, parasmos, is translated as either test or proof or trial or temptation. And that's because it can be any of those things depending on how it's used in that text. Now, the translators, they could have used the word trial instead of temptation just as easily, which would make things clearer for us without losing any of the integrity of what Jesus was teaching here. But even if we don't read this verse by substituting the word trial for temptation, even if we don't do that, it still makes sense once we understand the word. Now, I think it's also important for us to note um, that being tempted does not mean the same thing as being guilty of sin. You know, although, you know, when we step back and we consider all the many different ways that we're tempted, it's just overwhelming to realize how easy we can be pulled into sin. Um, of course, you know, to tempt someone to sin, that's sinful, you know, and, and we see from our James passage that we read earlier that it's not in the character of God to tempt someone. So it should not be something that we want to do either. If we want to be like Jesus, we don't want to tempt people either. Now, I want to take just a moment here and um, remind ourselves, you know, what had just occurred in Jesus' life prior to the uh, Lord's Prayer being given as part of the Sermon on the Mount. What had just taken place here? Well, Jesus had been led into the wilderness for 40 days, where on one hand, he experienced a trial and a test because the Spirit led him there. And on the other hand, he was being tempted. Literally, in Matthew 4, he was being seduced to sin by Satan here. So with this fresh on his mind, um, he called all of his followers to pray, lead us not into temptation. So that's where this has come from. That's, that was what was on Jesus' mind beforehand, meaning that we should pray, Father, you know, help me not to focus on the things that tempt me, but deliver me from those evil temptations. That's really what that is talking about here. And in his commentary on Matthew, William Barclay, he says this, temptation is not mean, meant to make us fail. It's meant to confront us with a situation out of which we emerge stronger than we are. You know, God does test us. There's no doubt about that. And he's continually, he's shaping and he's molding us, you know, and this is, um, this is the heart of sanctification. This is the way it's done. 
You see, we are sinful and broken people, and we're trying to be conformed to the image of Christ. But that's hard. Folks, it's hard to be conformed to the image of Christ. And it hurts oftentimes because it goes against the very nature of a man. It's not comfortable to be conformed to anything. It's not comfortably conformed um, to the ways of Jesus Christ. In Romans, the seventh chapter, in uh, verses 18 and 19, Paul, in a moment of transparency here, he talks about this and, and he opens up about the difficulties in living for Christ. He says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Has anybody ever felt that way? I'll guarantee it. You know, because the devil's good at what he does, and he's going to tempt you to do those things. Listen, we're going to do ourselves a huge disservice if when we think of temptation, we only think of those clear things that God has called sinful, especially the big things. You know, we can see that, yeah, that's a temptation, you know, and we won't um, mess with that. You know, as I've studied this and I've been confronted with the temptations in my own life, I've just been blown away at how quickly we turn things rotten. Does that make sense to you? That ever happened to you? You know, for sure, even in this room, you know, we have a multitude of sins that we're being tempted by. On a daily basis, we're tempted, you know, and even in the acknowledgement that we're tempted not to make a big deal about our gossiping or cheating or idolatry to self or hidden prejudice or anything that we would call small because you know, in our own minds, our own selves, you know, at least, you know, we're thinking, well, I'm not a drug addict, or I'm not an alcoholic, or I'm not cheating on my wife, or I'm not beating my kids, or I'm not gambling all my money away. You see, what we do, and the devil's good at this, folks, we create for ourselves a kind of a moral high that if we can stand on it and at least see some people below us you know, um, we're okay. You know, we think that because we're here and they're doing things down here that's worse than we are, we're okay. And we forget about those small things. But just as those people um, who are actively living in sin, they need to repent, so do we who are tempted to think that our our superior moral understanding somehow exempts us from having to see our own sin. Folks, one of the reasons we come around the Lord's table is to examine ourselves, and we need to be truthful when we do that. Examine ourselves. See if we're walking the way God would have us to walk. And uh, don't skimp on that, you see. And, and just as Jesus did often, you know, with religious types of people, he pulls us down from our tower and our high horse, and he shows us just how far from the sun we really are. When we compare ourselves to our Savior, Jesus Christ, we see that we fail in comparison here. You know, I want to take a little bit of time this morning 
to drive this point home because temptation is insidious. You see, we experience it every day. And, and it just suddenly just chips away at us, and it just keeps on chipping away at us. And I worry sometimes that we're not even aware of how often and how easily we're tempted because it happens every day. And so subtly, sometimes we just overlook it. You know, we don't want to be like Samson one day and said he knew not that the Lord had departed from him. You know, he had, he had gone so far in one direction that he didn't even know it. And folks, that, that worries me that sometimes this subtleness that the devil uses and he chips away at us and chips away and chips away and, and finally we just realize that we didn't even know that God and us were separated because it happened every day in such a small way. But those small ways add up to big things, you see. I want you to notice that Jesus knew how easily we are, are pulled into sin because he warned us in Matthew, the sixth chapter, in verse one, he said, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Um, you know, Jesus said that we can and we do um, even take good things and we make them bad. We do this on a daily basis, you know, and and we do this not sometimes not with the help of Satan or other demons pushing us to do it. Much of the temptations that you and I experience come from our own desires. Be honest, folks. It comes from our own desires to do what's contrary to God. You know, Paul has already pointed out for us this morning, but Jesus drives this point home. Now, for an example, let's look at the context um, around the Lord's Prayer here. Jesus gives two warnings here before even giving the Lord's Prayer, and then a third warning after the Lord's Prayer. Look at Matthew, starting with uh, chapter 6 and verse 2. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received, they have received their reward. Isn't it frustrating that we struggle to even help those around us and do acts of charity without making it about ourselves? Isn't that frustrating? You know, Jesus is not saying here, don't give to the poor, otherwise you might sin. He's highlighting that even in doing good, we face a temptation in our hearts relative to our motivation. You know, sometimes our hearts it's just not where they need to be. And then the Lord, leading right up to the Lord's Prayer, he says this in the fifth verse. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners um, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, even in our religious acts and our biblical disciplines, we struggle to do them without making it about us. Because generally speaking, we're pretty selfish people, you know. You know, I think sometimes we look at God as a spiritual vending machine. You know, if I give this, then God, he should be giving me that. It's kind of like a quid pro quo, you know, uh, a this for that with God. And we don't need to get into that kind of bargaining 
with God. You know, or possibly worse, we make these disciplines and practices not even about or for God. You know, here Jesus is highlighting prayer and how we should, you know, and how we oftentimes we make prayer about us, especially when we pray in front of people. Now, I know that, you, you know, if you think about this, you'll think that maybe you've been there as well. You see, when we pray um, before others, we're tempted oftentimes to pray good. Does that make sense? You know, and then we critique how, how we, we performed in prayer, you know, and we make prayer more about impressing those around us instead of being for God. You know, I've had people tell me, says, you know, it's just hard for me to pray in public because I can't pray like this person or that person. They're so eloquent in their prayers. Let me tell you something. Pray from your heart, period. We don't need all the wax words and, and the prayers of someone else. Jesus is telling us to pray from our heart. Folks, he appreciates that more than all the wax words we could ever say. You see, God knows your heart better than you do. And when you pray for your heart, that pleases him because he knows then that it's, it's genuine. You know, and then after Jesus, you know, he gives us the Lord's Prayer to help us, to help us focus. You know, he talks about the discipline of fasting here in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces so that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. You know, it seems like we're so easily moved um, to take that which is good and just cast it down into the mud. And of course, yeah, I know the devil helps us to do that. He encourages us to do that. Folks, we need this prayer in our lives. Lord, lead us not into temptation. You believe that? Amen. We need his direction. We need his Holy Spirit to guide us and protect us and transform us. Amen. You know, my goal this morning is to help us understand the difference between trials versus temptation. You know, and I have three points to help us with identifying the differences there. And the very first point is this. Trials are to be met. And temptation is to be cast down. Trials are to be met. And temptation is to be get cast down. You know, if God puts trials in your life, you're not to run from them, folks. You know, when Jonah, when he was given a challenge to go minister to the Ninevites, he ran. We should not run. You know, we might not always run the opposite way like Jonah did, but we sure do love to just sit back when God's Spirit is prodding us to knock on a neighbor's door or when the Spirit is calling you to confess your sin or when God is calling you to do something great that, you know, you're too scared to be a part of. You know, just about every mighty man or woman that I can think of, uh, men and women of faith, you know, they were scared at some level when God called them into a trial or a challenge. Folks, it's not a crime. It's okay, you know, if, if for you to be a little scared or to be intimidated. But your fear needs to be met. We need to meet that fear. And that fear that tempts you you know, to stay right where you are needs to be cast down. We need to get rid of that. You see, listen to me. Trials are to be met. 
but temptations are not to be played with. You know, two quick ways to cast down temptations. First of all, God is calling us to run from our tempting situations. God's calling us to run from our tempting situations. Frankly, I believe that we flirt with temptation too much, you see. And just of Joseph, just as he ran from Potiphar's wife, we need to be ready and we need to get out. We need to run as well. You know, you need to be thinking right now how you'll respond to temptation. You know, I know in our own minds, we think about, well, how are we going to respond to the big temptations? We say, oh, no, we're not going to do that. But oftentimes the devil gets you on the little stuff, you see. We need to be thinking about how we're going to deal with that too. The temptation to be lazy or the temptation to let your Bible get dusty or uh, to let unchecked voices influence you or not to have accountability in your activities. You know, we all have unchecked sources of temptation in our lives, every one of us. You know, things that pull us away from God and some things that pull us right flat out into sin against Him. There's things that happen that way. You know, we need to stop sleeping with the things that tempt us. We need to quit flirting with them, folks. Hear this. You, your friendships, your marriage, your children, and your moral authority are being sacrificed on the altar of habitual sin and unchecked temptations. And it's time for us to listen to the Scripture and run. We need to run. From temptation. The second thing we need to know about casting down temptation is that God's Word helps us resist temptations. God's Word helps us resist temptations. <clears throat> we need to stop being intimate with our sins and start being intimate with God's Word on a daily basis. You know, Sundays are good. Group Bible studies are good. But we need a daily time in the Word with Him ourselves. Just me and God. Just you and God. You know, without, without those daily reminders, we all fall into daily temptations. You know, one of the things that just, just brightens my day in visiting in some of your homes, oftentimes I see in many of your homes, right beside your favorite chair is your the the table that holds your drink and such. But in most cases, I see a Bible over there and I see a devotion book over there. Folks, that just tickles my heart, you know. And then in some of your workplaces, I've been there and I've seen your favorite chair and your work table that holds your lunch and your, your drink there. A Bible and a devotion book tickles me to death. And then something else that tickles me. On occasion, someone will call me and say, Preacher, I've been reading my devotion and i got a question for you. Let me tell you something. That just tickles me to no end. To know that you're in the Word. And I've got to say this. i got to say kudos to most of you because most of your homes are like that. And I really appreciate that in you. Look, every trial that God gives us has the potential to turn into a temptation. Not because of God, not because of Him, but because of our bend towards rebellion. That's why. You know, when we feel that we have an impossible task ahead of us, we need to understand that every temptation we face has a promise of God attached to it. Did you know that? 
Let's go to 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse 13. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure. Folks, that's a verse that you need to underline and you need to go to it often because it will help you through those temptations. Now, this leads us to point number two this morning. Trials direct us toward God. Temptations direct us away from Him. Folks, trials, they're meant to be hard. You know, any good test is designed to put you under some level of stress. And we face tests and challenges so that they stretch us and they focus us to rely on God and His strength. You see, we should be like the, the psalmist of Psalm 26 and verse 2. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind. Folks, one thing we need to understand here. You cannot say that you want to be more like Jesus and then bristle up at the idea that God would then need to refine you through a test. We don't need to do that. You see, C.S. Lewis, in Mere Christianity, he wrote this. He said, we may be content to remain what we call ordinary people, but he is determined to carry out a quite different plan. To shrink back from that plan is not humility, it's laziness and cowardice. You know, submit to submit to it is not conceit or megalomania, it's obedience. Now, obviously, that's a C.S. Lewis word. You know that one didn't come from me. Megalomania. Um, folks, we should be a people ready for God's creative hands to sculpt and shape into the image he desires. You know, when I think about that, I, I often think of Thomas Killian, you know, when he's, he's shaping his pottery and it's on the potter's wheel and it just starts out with just a glob of clay and he'll take his hands and he'll form that and before you know it, it's a beautiful bowl or a vase or, or something. Folks, we need to be like that clay in our potter's hands, in Jesus' hands. Folks, with every opportunity for, um, for us to practice obedience, there is a temptation. You've heard me say this over and over because the devil's good at what he does, you know, and he's relentless. He don't let up. You know, temptation, it just seems to be ever present with every good trial of God. And even though temptation is not new, it's been around since the beginning of time. You know, the mode into which we're confronted with them, it might change, but for the temptation itself, it is and it's always been for us to look at and trust something instead of God. It's that we need to put something in the place of God. That's what temptation is all about. So, question for you. What are you tempted by when God's calling you? You know, I'm reminded of Moses who when God calls him out for a great work, you know, he looked at his own deficiencies and he wanted to stay back. But God was still able to use him, you see? Or maybe let's go a little further back. Sarah, 
you know, who, when she heard that she was going to be blessed with a child, she laughed at the thought of it since her mind, in her own mind, her age disqualified her, you know, from that. So I asked again, if God wants you to do something, don't you think that he'll prepare the way for you to do it? You know, so what are you tempted by when God's calling you? Now, I think for myself, and maybe you can relate to this, it's my comfortable, soft, and secure life. That's what tempts me. You know, we all have real hurts. We have gone through some hard things and some hard times, and we felt God's testing in our lives, every one of us. But for the most part, I would say the biggest temptation might just be apathy. His book, The Cost of Discipleship, is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. He writes this. He said, the moment we begin to feel satisfied that we're making some progress along the road of uh, sanctification, it is all the more necessary to repent and confess that all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Yet the Christian life is not one of gloom, but of ever-increasing joy in the Lord. God alone knows our good works. All we know is his good work. And our third point this morning is that trials are passed by God and temptations are overcome by God. Trials are passed by God and temptations are overcome by God. You know, this line of the Lord's Prayer, Lord, lead us not into temptation, it screams out just an utter dependence on God, as so does the rest of the text in this passage. You know, I love the quote from um, Bonhoeffer where God alone knows our good works and all we know is his good works. Listen, every trial we are given can be met because God is good and he gives us strength. And every temptation can be overcome because God is good and he gives us protection. You know, we all need to see God for everything he is. Otherwise, we may be tempted to see all the good things that he does in us and through us as something that somehow we should take credit for ourselves. And we don't need to do that. We need to understand it's from God. We didn't do it. So how do we pray this prayer of complete reliance on God? How do we do that? First of all, we must pray with submission. We must pray with submission. You know, God is willing to lead us, but are we willing to be led? You know, we can be hard-headed people sometimes, and when God's trying to direct us and lead us into something, we fight back oftentimes. So for an order for us to pray God lead, it needs to be accompanied with a, a heart of willing submission, you see. We like to ask God to take away things and, and keep us from stuff, you know, and we can, and I would encourage you to do that. There's nothing wrong with asking God to remove your sins and your struggles from your life, but always we need to submit ourselves to God's leading. You know, when we ask God to take these things away, we need to be willing to follow the advice that he gives. You see, 
just as Paul was reminded, um, so are we that God's grace is sufficient for all things, you see. Second thing, we must pray with humility. It's kind of been a theme throughout the whole Lord's Prayer here that we pray with a focus on the whole family of faith. You notice it said, lead us. Don't say lead me, lead us. You know, brothers and sisters, we have siblings in the faith who are in danger. We have siblings who are hurting, siblings who are, are going through trials that you and I could never imagine. You know, we need to humble ourselves to consider them and their need for perseverance and strength through the trials and temptations that they have. I know in, in the 13th chapter of John, in verse 35, Jesus said that people would know we are his by the way we love one another. See, many of us, we're willing to pray for others. I'm not saying we don't. And I know, and you've heard me say this many times before, we have some powerful prayer warriors in this church. We really do. We will talk about that a little, little later when we get to our prayer time. But we have some powerful prayer warriors in the church here. You know, and sometimes, you know, people say, well, I just don't know what to pray for. Let me encourage you. You know, the missionaries that we support, they're pretty good about sending us updates about what's going on in, in the mission there. And they're posted on that bulletin board right outside the other side of this wall right there. And maybe you need to go and just camp out there sometime and see what the most urgent need for each of them are and add that to your prayer list. Now, we try to do that once a month to bring you up to date what's going on here with our missions moment. You know, and it's also, it's printed in the newsletter, which you will get one today. Um, you know, keep up with that. But one of the things that we also need to understand is we have local needs as well. Right here in this room, you know, we have uh, things that we need to offer up in prayer, you know. And for us to do that, there's got to be a willingness, you know, to ask one another and a willingness to tell one another. We've got to be forthright with those things, you see. You know, it's good for us to know how we can pray specifically for someone or how they can pray specifically for us. You know, maybe today will be the first day um, or our first time in a long while or maybe the first time at all, ever that you take advantage of the foot of the cross and you let your brothers and sisters meet you there and lift up your burdens to God. Folks, that's what brothers and sisters do. We care for one another. We lift up each other in prayer. And many of you do that. And if you're not doing that, let me encourage you to start. And finally, we need to pray with readiness. Pray with readiness. We spent a lot of time this morning talking about the difference between trials, the trials of God and temptations brought on by sin. You know, and I would acknowledge all of us that it's hard to have this awareness and this view uh, toward the things happening all around us. It's difficult sometimes to distinguish between the two. But I also say to you that all of this is the utmost importance. Let me ask you this question. Are you ready for this week? You know? You know, have you readied yourself to stand up to every trial, to cast down every temptation? You know, this is something that we can kind of do ahead of time, make up our mind. This is going to be our reaction when we're met with trials 
This is going to be our reaction when we're met with temptations. You know, do you have a, a mind for the things of God to approach every situation, you know, with a, a heart to honor Christ? Question we need to ask ourselves. Would you this week make the most of, of um, wherever Christ places you, the situations that he places you in? Make the most of it. I heard someone make the comment. I think it was Mary Beth. I said, bloom where you're planted. You know, wherever the Lord puts us, bloom. You know, do the right thing for the right reason. It's never wrong to do that. Um, would you turn to him in every trial and every temptation? Something we need to make up our minds to do right now. You know, folks, let our prayer be, lead us not into temptation. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we recognize that you're God and we're not. And Father, we just ask now this part of the prayer, lead us not into temptation. Help us to stand up to those. Help us to put those temptations down and help us to pass every trial and every test. And Father, we pray that we would lean on you through these times. In Jesus' name, amen.